0: Welcome to series two of
1: On the Outskirts. With me, Sophia Rosemary and Alice Catherine. Hello, how are you? Hello. um, Yeah, good.
0: Good, I, th- I think. How are you? Good, yeah. I think it's been an intense um, couple of weeks, hasn't it? And I think, um, obviously, we mentioned in the last episode that this episode is going to be a standalone sort of episode dedicated to the current black rights um movement um we just think that it's important to keep the conversation alive um and i think whilst everybody's in a sort of stage of learning and unlearning it's important for us to share those experiences um away from just instagram and our blogs um and things like that as well so this episode is going to be all about um anti-racism uh, the industry uh what we've been learning the past few weeks yeah. Um, so yeah we hope that it will be helpful in some way
1: kind of promoting um the idea of not promoting that's the wrong word but just keeping the idea of having open and honest conversations about this um because i think you know i'll talk about this a bit more in detail but I think part of the problem is that people are scared to have this conversation and and they just shouldn't be, so yeah, and I think no need to
0: practice what we are preaching online as well there's, right. there's no point in us writing these blog posts and having these discussions on instagram um but then not freeing up some of the space um on our podcast as well, which is where we do have these types of yeah.
1: open conversations, so we don't want to shy away from it. there's a lot to unpack, and we're acutely aware of that so. Yeah.
0: obviously there's been a lot of uproar online over the past few weeks following um, a lot of the viral videos um, and the murders of uh, George Floyd um, there's been a lot of uproar online and a lot of obviously subsequent protests across America and the rest of the yeah. world um, so because of that there's been an influx of activism and anti-racism resources online so we just sort of wanted to unpack a bit of what we've learned personally without just sort of giving you a big list of books and things like that that we personally haven't read we wanted to share things that we have read and that we have learned from and that we found useful because we think that's just obviously a much more genuine and authentic way to move forward and to share content with you guys. And
1: just as well without making this about us because this is not about us and we're we're well aware of that just sort of explaining our thought process over the last week or two and how that's led us to look at the resources we have um and to find you know the books or the programs we've been watching because we think it's important that what what resources you are using um they 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 speak to you and it's a way of getting that information into your head and you're not just reading something for the sake of reading it it has to be more than that I
0: mean I don't know about you personally but I feel like I have a lot more clarity at the end of this week than I did the end of last week um, and I think that that's just something that's going to change as time goes on. Yeah. I'm in a much better position to be talking about this now than than I would have last week um, and I think that's just going to change as time goes on and we learn and unlearn things um, yeah. but we just want this conversation to be productive and a safe space um, and an inclusive space um how have you been feeling sort of over and and obviously we want to share this without centering ourselves and making this about us but the past couple of weeks as well has had quite an impact um in terms of mental health so yeah what have you sort of had to learn or face in the past weeks have you found anything to be sort of confronting or have you sort of had to go back and forth with yourself a bit or um cuz i know that I have so of certain things but i'll get into that just yeah.
1: I think um i think i'm not the only one out there who's been through uh, a whole array of emotions over the past um f- like is it been about f- 14 days now obviously a, a bit longer once this podcast comes out yeah i feel like i've been just through every emotion i can and i think feeling exhausted is probably okay at this point um but yeah i think my eyes feel like they've been opened massively and I feel like there's a, a frustration in me and an anger with my own ignorance mm. and, you know, the the way maybe I've thought about things in the past. And yeah, I guess it's hard to put into words because I think so many emotions come at you. You don't want to make this about you. Um, but it's hard to not feel angry at yourself, um, you know. Hard not to sort of
0: minimise it as well, um, minimise the experience of it. Um, but again, there's this idea that we don't want to centre ourselves as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, think, I think the past few weeks have been exhausting and I, I don't think it's normal to think about activism and racism as much as a lot of people have been doing in the past few weeks and we'll get onto this later but it's obviously not a sustainable way to create change and advocate for progress long term um but I think this past few weeks have been life-changing and been an awakening for a lot of people um which I think the world needed. 2020 very much feels like a year of awakening and it feels like an uncomfortable year feels like a frustrating year um but obviously what we feel in this year is what a lot of black people and people of colour have been feeling their whole life. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important for us to make that clear as well, you know.
1: I think one of the most eye-opening um, kind of lessons that I've fe- I felt I've learned is to really understand that this is everyone's fight. <laughs> yeah. This isn't just, you know, um, one particular race's fight it is everyone's and that I think for me that was the bit that made me so mad at myself was you know you'd like to think that you're a humanitarian and that you really care about equal rights and yet how have I ever thought it wasn't my place to to support this and fight for this harder I guess that's white privilege and that's something that we have to come to terms with and there's there's I don't believe there's a quick fix for that I think that that is going to take time to really change that thought process that a lot of white people have it's the deep deep reflection going
0: forwards and the action that comes off the back of that that's going to be important I think um and like I said we will get into that and about what we're gonna what we're within our own industry going forward. But um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned or sort of comes to terms with over the past couple of weeks is that it's not enough just to be, just to say, oh, well, I'm not racist, so I'm not part of that noise. That's not, it's, I've truly sort of had to dig deep and think about what it means for me personally to be an anti-racist ally um, in a non-optical way, in a non-performative way. What does that truly mean? What does that mean for my practices every day within my work, within my personal life? Um, and what a lot of that comes down to is being uncomfortable and having uncomfortable conversations, writing uncomfortable emails, you know, speaking up on press trips, speaking up at an event. If I look around and everyone looks like me, that is a problem. And sort of going from there, really, and thinking about what I can really do from a practical point of view, um, so, yeah, I've, I've found that quite confronting because, again, it's it's shameful to think of times where I could have done more and should have done more. Um, but again, this is a massive time of awakening for a lot of people. Um, and I think all we can do is vow to do better um, going forward.
1: Yeah and just progress from this point on Mm -hmm. Um, because we've all got the same end goal and I think that's probably why it's kind of, it felt so jarring um, for a lot of, of white people out there is because we all have the same end goal, we all want the same thing and so it's kind of that idea of well you know you've got to fight for it then and we've we've all got to and I think that's why I I spoke about this in my blog post and on on uh, Instagram a lot um I started reading a lot of stuff on white feminism because for me that just hit really hard because how can you fight for equality for women and not see that there is a a huge proportion of women within that feminist movement that are being overlooked and are being silenced and you can't fight feminism without fighting racism because fundamentally they stand for the same thing um, and I guess you know that, that's what's gonna happen the more material you read and the more resources you find it's, it's just a knock-on effect. It's like you
0: say isn't it it's a time to start connecting the dots and really look at the holes in the morals that we have and how they're not really maybe connecting up with what we're practicing you know really looking inwardly I think and again it's this sense of this year in general has just felt like I've said it before like a mass awakening and I think many of us have become complacent in fighting for change because we generally live in a world that advocates complacency yeah I was thinking about that that a lot this week you know we live in a world where it's sort of stay busy stay stressed stay distracted uh, stay in your lane um invest money but don't invest time like it's i think this year i hope from this point onwards we see real change and this isn't just another moment in history um, we turned into a documentary I, I really hope this means something substantial going forward
1: I heard a lovely quote the other day and I'm so sorry I don't know where it originates from but this is a movement not a moment and I just think that that just puts it so eloquently. It's so crazy because I don't know if it's a UK thing because I know you know um, I know British we've got that kind of stiff upper lip and we're kind of deemed as being like overly polite. It's actually quite, um, to me it's so nonsensical to look to look at things of like we were so uncomfortable with racism and we were just gonna sit with our uncomfort like look in hindsight that's ridiculous so you know it's about calling out if you if you're part of a conversation and you hear something which doesn't sit right with you it's about calling it out like why would you sit with uncomfort and, on, you know, if you see things on Facebook or wherever it might be, that you know, this moves outside of, like, a work capacity or a Instagram or Twitter capacity. This has to be something that you bring into your relationships with your friends and family as well.
0: Again, it's just as much, if not more important, the work you do away from prying eyes online. It has to yeah. be something that is so ingrained and second nature to you that it just becomes easy like you just it's like second nature it's like flicking it on like it's just right send this email I need to do this or need to have a conversation about that and not just doing it because you feel like you need to doing it because it's the right thing to do
1: and as well because it's I guess it's understanding as well that you're gonna feel uncomfortable yeah that's an okay emotion to have but it's what you do with that Mm -hmm. and you know I I read quite a bit on the idea of gaslighting so if you've ever felt that you have spoken up about something and someone's come back with you with you know maybe you're hypersensitive or it's only a joke or none of that that doesn't cut it anymore and if if you didn't find that joke funny because it's not funny then Mm -hmm. it's okay for you to say so and it's okay for you to, I guess it's a learning to have open and honest conversations with people. It doesn't have to be an argument. I think you post about this, um, about the idea of agree to disagree does not does not count when talking about race. reserved for like a type of coffee or... <laughs> yeah, it's agree not... to disagree is when you're talking about something trivial. It's not when you're talking about race or gender or homophobia. Those things are not right categorically.
0: No, and I think we've, we've had a lot of conversations um, this week and last week about our thoughts in the industry and, you know, what's wrong with our industry as a whole, and we're going to get into that a lot more later. But shall we start with some resources that we have been looking to this week and last week and just in general as well? What have you been finding useful? What have you been enjoying? What have you been watching that's been helpful over the past
1: few weeks? I think it's been important to me uh, to look at this from a um, from the perspective of. Uh, as- as a British person because I think one of the biggest problems that we have in Britain is that we kind of look and look maybe on our views on racism with a real ignorance we don't think it's happening over here and that's so frustrating and so I think it's been important for me to look at kind of a lot of resources which are based in the UK to really understand to get a grasp of that um, one I think that we both watched is Sitting in Limbo on the BBC which is around around the Windrush scandal.
0: This is on them. Um, you can watch it on BBC iPlayer.
1: But yeah, a stark like you
0: said, a stark reminder for anybody that thinks this is something that's exclusive to America. Uh, it's not. This was a scandal that happened just a few years ago. I can't remember what year it was.
1: Um, but Theresa May was
0: prime minister, wasn't
1: she? Yeah. At- I think it first started in. i think the seed was first planted in 2007 and um, with the idea of making britain a hostile environment for immigrants and it kind of it kind of manifested from there but yeah i think it it's a great one to watch because it 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 shows you that racism is rife in britain and not only that it's not a part of history it's happening now so as you said alice this was still going on two years ago um I'm not. Ge- I'm not. I'm not an expert in the Windrush scandal, so I don't want to sort of preach to you guys about um, what actually happened. But a lot of British citizens who had the right to live here, who were legally British citizens, were made to feel like they didn't belong in this country, and a lot of them were detained in detention centres. Um, I think, um, in a nutshell, uh, again, don't quote me on this. Watch it for yourself and make
0: notes for yourself because. Um, I'm not great at um, retaining historical information at the best of times. Um, But the Windrush was basically the boat. Did it come over from the Caribbean, I think? Um, And basically everybody who was on that boat had vital documents taken away from them at the time that they would have needed to prove their um, residence in the UK.
1: They they were part of the Commonwealth, so technically they were British citizens, so they didn't need um, immigration documents.
0: Um, But it was a huge a home office scandal wasn't it and I was reading that apparently at the time I don't know if this is still true again um this information can all be found online but the home office had targets that they had to hit in terms of um immigrants and uh, seeking out illegal immigrants um there was a lot of people that were wrongly targeted and I think in the um I think in the documentary the words the term low-hanging fruit is used, which is just disgusting that these people were targeted because they were easy targets and they knew that it would be possible to get a lot of people um, deported wrongly. And yeah, the story focuses around one guy in particular, Anthony.
1: And everything he basically lost in such a a quick concession, um, with little information given to him, Mm -hmm. just got it in front of me now so it was 850 um, people were detained from 2012 to 2007 83 people were deported so you know can you imagine that like Britain is your home and then you're just suddenly told to leave you don't belong here like Mm -hmm. it's beyond the, the fact that this happened not long ago honestly just kind of blows my mind and again makes me frustrated because maybe there's been an ignorance in myself for not why should I be shocked at that? That did happen.
0: Yeah, but it, it, again, it is a really, um, it really hits home that as well, especially like you say, because this wasn't even long ago that this happened. This We're talking a few years back. So um, very scary indeed and very scary that immigrants could be seen as targets um, and not people. Um, and, yeah, just disgusting the way it was all handled.
1: How about you? I was going to say, is there anything else that... I know we've watched a few similar things. I, I mainly wanted to talk about things that um, that have really
0: stuck with me. Um, and because I think everybody's been watching a lot of things recently. Um, uh, and I've listed... and I've made an extensive list on my blog of films that I recommend and things like that. Yeah. Um, but the things that I've watched recently that have stuck out with me, I watched Becoming. Uh, with Michelle Obama, which is basically a documentary that she made around her book tour um, of the book Becoming. And it, I didn't expect to enjoy it so much. Um, I wasn't quite sure what it would uh, entail as a documentary. And it made me quite sad and a bit depressed at first because just the the footage, um, just just what it meant for a black family to occupy the White House and who occupies the, the White House now. It just seems sad to me that we've regressed so much. Um, and just two completely different families, like couldn't be more opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, and she talks um, quite candidly about how she was made out by the media to be this angry black woman because she was someone that spoke her mind. So as time went on, they became more and more scripted um, and she said that as a family, they had this saying, which was when they aim low, we aim higher, um, which was in reference to them being careful about what sort of messages they were putting out into the world as political figures, which re- it really made me angry because I just thought it's again, this like stark reminder of white privilege that even when they reached the most respected positions in America, they still felt muted in a way that Trump doesn't. And... How often do you read a tweet from Trump where you think, "Wow, that's really considered. He's really thought about what he's putting out into the world. He's really thought about the power he has." And just again, just a family with so much class—the Obamas—that is, um, and it's just just really sad how much things have flipped on the head now and, and what we have now.
1: The contrast couldn't be more couldn't be more stark, could it? It's so yeah. It really made me quite sad, but then
0: then you get this sense of that they're much happier as a family now and she's written this book becoming Michelle Obama and she sort of feels like she's had a chance to become who she's meant to be now she's away from sort of I mean obviously they're still massive sort of figures that are followed around the world and stuff but she feels like she can do better work now and she's they're still doing so much work behind the scenes and things like that and I think the White House is obviously a toxic place for any family so you sort of get this sense that you're glad you're glad that they're out of that but it's bittersweet because they did represent so much change and so um, much, hope, so much hope for a lot of people yeah and um, whether you agreed with you know some of the things that Obama did within his presidency or not they did represent so much hope for so many people and um, and she she says you know it sort of ends on a more hopeful message as well and she says something like the energy out there is different than what we see which basically refers to, you know, we do see a lot of sadness and a lot of anger and frustration online and in the media and stuff. And we, we see a lot of the things that are going wrong, but she feels that the energy that out, that is out there is different and it's hopeful. And we do have younger generations of activists that are, that are fighting for change and that are going to be the future. And she says that she has, she pins a lot of hope on the future generations. And she really believes that they're the ones that are going to make a difference
1: and important was, point was- though as well about me- about media because i think that's what's quite frightening is um you know please don't just use um media coverage as your education on what's going on in society like you've got to put the legwork in yourself mm-hmm. um i think the last weekend has really sort of illustrated that you know if you look at a lot of the front page newspapers they're not talking about the black lives matter process that happened you know some of the biggest um global process that have happened in decades and it's not being spoke about uh, to me that speaks volumes so yeah I kind of get that idea of the energy out there is different it's a shame because I think people have got to seek it out for themselves a bit more
0: yeah and I I just generally think we're at a crossroads as as human beings um yeah a long hard look at who we are and what we stand for and decide what we're going to do going forward it's seems like this year it's now or never yeah uh, but yeah I, I love that documentary would definitely recommend it and I really want to read her book now um not that I didn't before but it's one of those books that I've always seen around and just never picked up so I'd love to take the time to to read that
1: anyway what um what else
0: have you been watching or reading or
1: there's so much on net because the becoming um, documentaries on netflix isn't it and there is there's so much on um netflix um which is so easily accessible to everyone um i know that the um 13th documentaries on that now I, I watched that a few years back so like the details of it are a bit hazy but i do recall it struck a huge chord with me still something that I always recommend if someone needs a good documentary to watch um Mm -hmm. I I think I've recommended it to you Alice haven't I it's just it's it's a really jarring documentary to watch and I would it gives you a very clear and concise look of um black history throughout um, um sort of intertwined with um American history um and it it's all about the around the premise of the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery um, and uh, around the idea that, you know, every man was a free man. um, And about how from that point onwards, um, the systemic racism within America came from um, the prison system there. Mm Um, and some of the um, statistics it gives are just absolutely staggering and, and just really hit home, um, so I'd recommend that. And then um, When They See Us, have you watched When They See Us yet, Alice? Yeah,
0: they're both by the same director, aren't they, 13th and When They See Us. Are they really? Yeah, Ava, Ava DuVernay, sorry if I've mispronounced that, um, she did Selma, When They See Us, and 13th as well.
1: And I guess When They See Us um, sort of um, touches on the subject of Trump, because he played a um, a big role in um, the Central Park Five, which I think maybe what I would do is I would advise before watching When They See Us is actually do a bit of research on um, the Central Park Five story, mm-hmm. because I found that after I watched the series, I kind of started researching it more, and I wish I'd kind of had a bit more insight into it.
0: Yeah, When They See Us me and Sam watched that I think when it came out
1: and it like a year or so ago yeah very hard-hitting um
0: just mental story um 13th I watched yeah you recommended that to me and it's a lot of again a lot of it is sort of new but a lot of it was quite interesting in terms of the there was a lot more about the war on drugs um, time in history that scandal that I didn't know about, um, and the fact that the police off- did. The police um, they shipped a lot of cocaine in to to try and set people up as well as to set black people up. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of stuff around that that I just found absolutely just just crazy. Like how much the police have got away with and how how much of the oppression we see has been set up by white people in power um, and encouraged by white people in power. So yeah, that's that's a great documentary. I'd say that was a great starting point as well, if you're gonna watch anything start that, um, because it it does go into a lot of history.
1: It's just very clear, isn't it? It's very clear and concise. And I think you're right, it's a great starting point. and I think it, it actually does, it, it warrants you then going and looking at other avenues as well. It gives definitely. you food for thought, doesn't it? Like, so yeah. Like you need, you want a bit more of black history or you need more context on certain things that have happened. That's definitely a great one to watch. Yeah, completely. Have you been, is there anything that you've been reading um, that's kind of like um, struck a chord with you?
0: I have started to try and finish Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, a book that I've sort of dipped in and out of. Over the last couple of years, I'm ashamed to say that I've not given it the time it's deserved. Um I'm generally not that this is an excuse, but I'm generally we talk about this, we're not generally people that retain information by like historic information by reading it per se. We're much more like documentary watchers or film watchers. Um I just generally don't read a lot of um fiction, um, which I need to try and get better at. Um but again, people have different methods of learning. But yeah, I've been reading why I'm no longer talking to white people about race and again sort of like 13th it goes through a lot of black history in an extensive way as well like it's very one of those books you want to highlight stuff as well and it's almost worth sort of I've been journaling alongside it I think which is important not to just read a book yeah definitely journal you know see it as like a little project where you can write down things that you're learning in your own words and that you can refer back to because again it's like I don't think it's I think what a lot of people are trying to do online is sort of like they're cramming for a test and this is going to be lifelong work Completely. you're not successful if you're trying to cram all these things in all at once it needs to be staggered and it needs to be a sustainable way of learning um so yeah. I think that's the highlight as well but yeah she she just covers so much history um and talks about how the book came about it was a blog post that she um posted on her blog at the time which sparked a lot of support but also a lot of outrage as well um and she said that you know she didn't post this blog post as like a breakup from white people it was just her making this loud and clear statement that she's had enough in it that at this point it's self-preservation as a black woman because it's exhausting to to constantly talk to white people about why racism is wrong. Yeah. And yeah, she just talks about um, the emotional disconnect that white people have um, from racism and from black history. But she talks about white denial. And again, she goes through so much history. So she talks a lot about slavery and a lot of things that I didn't know as well how present it was, for example, I think it was two hundred and seventy years, was it, or something like that? Don't quote me on this. Um, but yeah, it's for a lot of the first half of the book it's just account after account of how black people have been failed by white people, how embedded how embedded that trauma is into the black experience. Um and it's exhausting and horrifying to read, but again, as a white person it's not my narrative and it's important for me to absorb those narratives and to sit in that exhaustion so that I can really try and have an understanding of what it means to be white and how I've been or might have been complicit in white supremacy um and how I can do better um so it's definitely definitely not an easy read but it's an important read and it's like a loud documentation of the endless reasons why people need to stop discussing blackness and need to discuss whiteness and what it means to be white and I've seen this actually I've seen quite a few videos on this uh, that why we need to we need to stop having this conversation of why black people deserve to have equal rights and talk about what it means to be white yeah and why it is that we're even having that discussion that other members of society deserve what we have that shouldn't even be a topic of conversation and I think that's quite a powerful way of looking at it as well so I wanted to mention that
1: I saw, him. I can't remember who, well, I, again, I saw this. There's been so much information on Instagram that I feel terrible saying, oh, I don't know who this has come from. But yeah, it's there's just been so much coming at us. It hasn't there. But I think someone said we need to stop seeing this as an issue um, within the black community and start seeing this as an issue with white people as well. And I think, yeah, it's exactly as you've said. She also makes the point that we need to stop thinking that true racism
0: only true racism only exists in the hearts of evil people it's much more respectable and harder to spot than we think um especially within the UK like we've mentioned with Windrush scandal um you know we need to stop she she says you know this isn't a I think she she makes a really great point that it's not just someone with a nationalist flag and a balding man with a crop top on it's you know it's people that look respectable it's your next door neighbor it's um someone within your family even it's um you need to stop associating racism with just oh it's, it's just evil people that think that way because it's not
1: yeah, like oh, I'm not, I'm not associated with those people. I'm not like those people. Yeah, and it's actually that kind of racism which is quite insidious, really—the type which goes sort of deeply ingrained in people's mindsets that they don't think they're being racist. I think um, there's a, a a blogger from Manchester called Anye, um, I think on Instagram she's called Moss Anye, and she did a um, IGTV video um, on on her experiences, and she touches upon that. She says that in Britain it seems to be quite polite. It's like Mm. almost, you know, this kind of like, it's racism, but it's so low key, it's people don't think they can, can almost not even detect it, but it's there. You know, it's this,
0: again, this idea of institutional racism, Um, it's like captured in our everyday thinking at a systemic level. It's not, you know, it's microaggressions. It's not just overt racism. You know, it's not just the people that are wearing their racism on their sleeve. It's, you know, like I said before, it's this more sort of respectable level of racism, which is harder to spot. It's more subtle and more dangerous, I actually think, because. It's, you know, it's when somebody says something and you're like, oh, was that just a, oh, I don't know if I should say something about that because I can't quite, I don't really know what that was. And that's where it's dangerous because there's, well, I don't
1: want to kick up a fuss about that.
0: Yeah. And spreading it around like a disease.
1: Um. And I guess that comes back, that loops back around to as well the idea of gaslighting because it just shows how we are so easily manipulated into thinking, you know, like I just said, oh, I don't want to kick up a fuss or I don't know if I heard that right. And it's like, well, no, if you feel uncomfortable with something, then you should speak up. Yeah, I did just want to mention as
0: well in terms of books that I think it's important um, to not just promote you know historical books and works of non-fiction i think it's important to enjoy arts from black people and people of color that's not just historical but also just stories as well and films okay. and fiction dro- is okay it's okay to enjoy that as well like please make sure that you're supporting and um, people of color and black people and um, in all different ways don't just share their trauma and read their books about trauma and history also read the narratives like contemporary narratives
1: we were talking about this before we started recording it's about finding finding pieces of writing or whatever it may be that's not a chore like it's got to resonate with you and um this it's like you said it's about enjoying it and it's about celebrating it and and learning like this conversation for example we do this a lot where
0: you might have read the book to something and I've watched the documentary and therefore we've got this crossover of information then that we can share with each other. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not, it's almost not valuable for everybody in your friendship group to be doing the same thing. You're all going to have different ways of learning and different things that appeal to you. And that's good because you can then share and have conversations and pass information, um, because everybody's going to know something that you don't know.
1: Um, One writer who's really resonated with me recently, and I know you've read a a few pieces on her work, is Rachel Cargill, which, Mm. please follow her on Instagram, she's just a very, very inspirational woman, and it's actually quite funny, because um, I read um, a lot of her uh, her work on um, why white feminism. Um she did like she has her own website and there's a social syllabus on there and she did like a, a big piece on white feminism. I then started reading um other articles on white feminism um, for a lot of publications. So there was a few pieces in Harper's Bazaar um, and there was another one for another publication. And then I realized she'd written them too. I just really resonated with her writing. And I guess that's a testament to finding something which um, speaks to you and is written in a way that you you can, that the information is tangible and you can do something with it and you, you can apply it. It's not about always um, relating to something, but it can be applied to your way of thinking.
0: Yeah. yeah and learning resources again are wrapped up in privilege you know not everybody can go afford to go and spend 50 quid on a load of new books so do look online at what there is youtube has tons of resources if you've got a phone then you can usually access youtube or podcasts again there'll be loads of stuff listed in the show notes um but do not feel guilty if you can't go out and buy loads of new books because It doesn't make you a better person for buying books. It's what you learn and the effort you put in. It doesn't matter what medium that is, um, as long as you're doing the work and you're prepared to learn and grow. Um, um, We're all sad. (laughs) The last thing that I, um, one intervention, which I watched last night, so it's in my memory, um, was the What Happened, Nina Simone? No, What Happened, Miss Simone? (laughs) Featuring uh, Nina Simone. Um, so it's a documentary under the... I will actually just say that um, Netflix have a great um, hashtag, Black Lives Matter, so you can find a lot of the things that we've been talking about under that hashtag and add them to your watch list. Um, but I watched What Happened, Miss Simone, um, which was a dive into sort of Nina Simone's life. And it offered... It's a, it's a beautiful one to watch, especially if you're a fan of her music um, and, and you want to learn a bit more about her. But then you also pick up a lot of history at, at the time that she was... Um, popular in singing as well and there's a lot of sort of things she had to deal with that i wasn't aware of like domestic abuse and um, depression but it also goes into some of the historical context behind her songs so for example there was a song mississippi Goddamn" that she wrote during the civil rights movement at the time um when they didn't even allow curse words on tv and how that was this massive statement at the time and she actually um sang it during the march from Selma to Montgomery during the 60s as well. And she sang it so angrily and in such a way that um, her daughter says in the documentary that her voice changed a whole octave or something like that. Like, she never... The anger in her voice changed her voice forever. And I just thought that was... Incredible. ...powerful, crazy. And, yeah, just about how much of an activist she was at the time, um, which I I didn't really even know about that. Um, I've listened to her music for years but never... Really knew um, how much uh, involvement she had during the '60s um, civil rights movement, and um, there's a really powerful bit in it. I'm not going to waffle on too much about this, but there's a really powerful bit in it where she says, "America is like a cancer, and all she can do is expose it. She's not a doctor; she doesn't have the power to cure it, but what she can do is expose it." And that really hit me because I feel like that's what we're still doing now. We're still exposing it. We're still it's like, I think Will Smith said it, racism isn't getting worse, it's getting filmed. Yeah. And it's, again, this idea that we're still trying to expose it, the violence and the sickness, but it has to reach a point where there's real change. Like, why Why is it that we're still exposing it and talking about it and fighting for this change, but real change is... Like, we're still, in 2020, in this sort of similar position. Like, it's it's crazy when I was watching that documentary how much of the protest mirrored what's been going on in the past few weeks and I just thought, God, this is the sixties.
1: And I think with Nina Simone, like in pop culture. So there's that Amanda Seals um quote which um um Clara Clara Malfi on um I, I feel like I've just said a second name wrong. Why am I always terrible with second names? Um she quoted in her she did like a speech on Radio One which is um you can't enjoy the rhythm and ignore the blues and i think that's true it's like true of what you were saying about nina simone it's like you know there are a lot there's so much pop culture out there which has been talking about this for so long why are we still at the stage we're at and it just again she
0: it, it shows like when she has the the house that she wants and the acres of land and she's sort of at the height of her career but she still feels like she'd give it all up just to have black people to have equal rights and just just what a phenomenal woman she was really um definitely worth a
1: watch um for a plethora of reasons shall we kind of move on to talking about i guess racism within our industry and how we plan to sort of work
0: integrate what we're learning going forwards um yes (laughs) where to start wow i mean the fashion industry in general we've had lots of conversations about this but it's not inclusive in a lot of ways it's not diverse enough it's not
1: inclusive in terms of size and skin colour. Even it's treatment of women, you know, for an industry which um, capitalises on women so heavily, and especially with what we do in industry in influencing or blogging or whatever you want to call it, it is um, an industry which is built on women, for women, and yet it doesn't treat them very well. Yeah,
0: and I think we were both saying before we recorded this that um, whilst there's been a lot of amazing examples of love and support and really constructive conversations online we've also seen quite a lot of nastiness and quite a lot of unproductive conversations um and yeah i think um we need to see less aesthetic and performative ac- activism and more actual progression and less self-serving phony apologies and statements really from brands and influencers alike it needs to be coming from an authentic place of wanting to change and Sometimes that means taking some time offline and really reflecting what you're putting out into the world and what you've been called out on. Turning an apology around in 24 hours and expecting...
1: It anymore, does it? It just doesn't
0: fit right. It's not real. It doesn't sit right. And it, it doesn't happen like that in real life. So we need to start stop expecting the online world to be reflective of, of real life as well and real change happen overnight. Um, we've also talked a lot about the blogging and influencer toxic culture it creates this way of making women feel like they're lucky to be there and i think a lot of us have lost our voices in the attempt to create a pleasing
1: aesthetic um and to ease i think that's a big part of it i think you're so scared to to talk out sometimes because you're often put on a pedestal that you didn't even know you were being put on and and it's and so sometimes staying silent feels like the safe option mm. and that can't that just can't be the case anymore
0: or well, that having a political standpoint isn't marketable like yeah. fuck that like what does that even mean like i think we need to just start empowering women voices women's voices in general because if we we need to also feel like we can speak up for black women and of colour and create space for them and we can't do that with a culture that puts women down and makes it makes women feel like they should just sit pretty or take a nice selfie that's what you're good at don't have the world doesn't need your political standpoint and i think that's where a lot of the issues have come from and we can't change we can't create a more diverse more inclusive space if we feel like our voices don't matter and they're they're not going to be heard um and it needs to start from the top as well. It needs to be brands and the people with the real power to, to make those changes, I guess.
1: Yeah, and to change that, that culture, mm-hmm. um, which we probably don't even really realize that we're we're a, a, we're a part of. I've really been, you know, for the last two weeks now, one of the things that I've really been, I don't know if champion's the right word, but um, the idea that this really needs to go beyond social media, um, I think there's... I think especially with influencers at the minute, I think there's this, um, there's been a lot of sort of, there's been a real witch hunt for um, people posting stuff which others deem to be performative. But then flip side of that, there's been this real kind of like witch hunt for people um, Mm. for sort of seeking out influencers you don't think are posting enough. And I think that is, can only lead to a real toxicity with social media. I think, you know, pressuring people to post more on Instagram is just encouraging performative allyship. And I don't think that's the way we should be going about this. And I think it it kind of encourages a disingenuous support for the Black Lives Matter movement, and um, anti-racism. And I think we really, really need to be concentrating on this much more deeply beyond social media. I mean, people that
0: were called out for posting selfies and stuff last week, rightly so, because nobody really needs to know about your new pair of jeans. It wasn't appropriate. Appropriate, no. So I think people that were posting but were posting the wrong sort of stuff, fair enough, but people that weren't posting and hadn't posted for a few days, maybe, you know, it's about thinking beyond... Instagram because Instagram's what 10% or less of somebody's life and I, I just think we are also going through a health pandemic and it's having context that you know a lot of people I mean I can see us going into a mental health crisis after this yeah. I think a lot of people are already suffering in very varying different levels um so it's about allowing space for that as well um and not just assuming that because somebody isn't posting a picture or a meme that they aren't doing the work offline and having those conversations (laughs) offline
1: that just seems so silly to me I think it's important to remember as well like your social media is an echo chamber of your thoughts Mm. we all know this we've seen this happen time and time again and I I, I've been stung by this with Brexit and with the last elections I really really thought it was going to go one way because I believed it and because the people I followed believed that had the same morals and beliefs as me and it didn't it went the other way and I think we have to see this as the same thing like if you're only going to stay within your your social media then you're that isn't enough room for progression and growth you have to go outside of your comfort zone with this that's a big
0: I think it's really problematic when people start saying that you shouldn't follow this person or that person especially on twitter as well I really try to diversify who I follow on twitter and try and follow people from all different political parties for example because how can you learn how can you learn and make informed decisions unless you're looking at you're listening uh, everyone who sat at the table like I don't it's like you say you just create an echo chamber and you, you think you're living inside this bubble and everything's going to be okay and that's not the real world you're not going to agree with everybody who you come into contact with um and I'm not talking about um racism when I talk about that because racism isn't an agree or disagree but I'm talking about you know with Brexit and things like that I, I do think it's it's problematic when people say oh don't follow this person or why are you following them because we need to allow space for conversations and we need to allow conversations um we need to allow space for debates otherwise we can't you know you might have a conversation with someone and you're the trigger that leads them to think oh actually i've been wrong about that and i really want to learn more about that now
1: yeah because a big part of this is is you know we've said this a few times on this podcast alone is it's about having those uncomfortable conversations Mm -hmm. you're not going to have those uncomfortable conversations in your comfort zone in a, a feed which you have curated yourself like that's just not going to happen. And I bet you've had this before as an influencer where um, I've had someone who's maybe said something um, quite nasty or they've disagreed with me, and then they'll have immediately maybe blocked me or they won't stand to reason. So they don't want to have a conversation. They just want to sort of shout their opinions at you. That is, to me, is just so, that's not productive at all. That is just, I've, he- I've seen this a lot where it's, you know, we're talking about losing followers over... Um, you know supporting um, Black Lives Matter movement and I don't care about those followers that I'm losing because they obviously aren't they obviously aren't the people I want to follow me but then at the same time I just you know I can't help but feel like I also don't want people who are following me who just want to sort of shout, shout stuff at me like I, we need to make this an intellectual conversation.
0: 100% and it's also on the flip side of that it's absolutely okay to, to set boundaries healthy boundaries you know if I used to always, I think when I first started my platform, if somebody would come at me with abuse, I'd, I'd try and sort of like talk to them as if they were a rational person when they were sending abuse to begin with um, that wasn't constructive or um, well-meaning. And I will just block people who send me abuse. If you send me abuse or if I've blocked you, it's because of a reason. It's to protect my own mental health. It's not worth it anymore. I don't believe that I need to have a conversation with everybody who's a horrible person to try and make them a better person somehow. Yeah. That's not on me. Um
1: completely. But but I am open
0: for constructive, productive conversation.
1: In the last two weeks or so, I've had some of the most refreshing conversations on Instagram um, with people who um have not we've we both uh, you know, we've got the same same beliefs, but we've got different ways of going about it. Um and we've kind of sort of debated over it and we've both kind of it's actually been a conversation. And it's been so refreshing to see and I just hope we can allow allow that to become the norm. I think, you know, writing a cruel comment on someone's photo and judging them just off what they're posting on Instagram is just not the way to go about this at all.
0: No, I think I've, I've had... To- some really great conversations in my DMs, for the most part, as well. Yeah, uh, a really heartbreaking, a really heartbreaking message from one girl who said that she was finding this time really difficult, and she tried to speak to family members um, that disagreed with her anti-racism, um, and that she was getting an influx of like trolling online because of the stuff she was sharing, the anti-racist oh resort, my God. The stuff she was sharing. Um, you know and she was like have you got any advice like have you received the same um and I was like luckily not and it's been what I've been sharing has been well received and um I think anybody who disagrees has just unfollowed um but I just can't imagine how difficult that is because again I, I it's sort of like the people you choose to have around you it's like an echo chamber isn't it I don't tend to be um attracted to people that are close-minded and that don't believe in people rights and that are racist quite frankly I would never I would never associate myself with people like that but that doesn't mean that I don't hang around with people that maybe have me to look at the way they're complicit in maybe microaggressions and the system as a whole white supremacy as a whole Um, so I have been having those uncomfortable conversations with family and friends and stuff but you know for the most part the people that are around me and the people that I hold dear are, are open to learning and growing the way I am so I can't imagine how difficult that must be for people that have really racist members of their family. Um, yeah. I just yeah, I don't I don't really have the expertise to know how to to sort of advise someone on that situation, to be honest. Um, but what I will say is I do think that it's not worth the time with some people. I think some people are so committed to being nasty people, or they're so committed to and set in their ways in terms of what they think's right and i think what you do have to find hope in is the younger generations and i think if you're somebody that's finding that really difficult with the older members of your family maybe you could look at um seeing if there's any young members of your community that you could be a mentor for whether that's in local schools or you know do you have any um nieces or nephews that you could mentor and put your energy into those people because i think the younger generation of where hope and change is gonna continue to blossom from and I I do think maybe you know some of the older members of your family aren't worth
1: the
0: the, it's not worth the fight and the exhaustion um
1: yeah I think you're right I think that's really good advice I think this and you know this is a fight, but it. This is a fight. It definitely is, but it doesn't have to be a literal fight with the people around you. Like some people are never going to change their views, no matter what you do. I mean, I, I've seen a few things on Facebook, and I, it is just about deleting those people out at this point. I think, um, and there's no, there's no shame in that. I think you're right. I think your peers. Um, and the younger generations i think are a real sort of where a lot of the hope is i think taking this back again to the industry that
0: we work in and how we're going to change our habits and practices going forward i think the main things for people that are in positions of power with platforms like that we are sharing information as we go along keeping the conversation open whether that's on this podcast or in blog posts on trips with other people our peers um sending emails being more extensive when we're accepting campaigns you know is this a brand that aligns with what we're practicing online and preaching in real life um is this a brand that are practicing not even uh, practicing feels like the wrong word because it doesn't seem authentic to practice something it's like you don't believe in it but it's a brand that's advocating for diversity is it's a brand that's giving up space and money and time to black people and people of color it's it's about really doing that extensive sort of detective work i guess it feels like half the time to see you know is this brand Pulling the wool over our eyes, or is this a brand that really believes in authentic change? And are they practicing this in their workplace, not just their shop front? Um, Because it's easy for a brand to post to get a black model and be like, oh, look, we're diverse because we've got a range of different women in our bikinis or whatever. But are you then practicing this within your workplace environment behind closed doors? Um, And I think it's important to also say that this is going to there's going to be a lot of trip ups. There's going to be a lot of mistakes along the way, because, again, this is not something that's going to change overnight. And I think a lot of brands are really reeling in their thoughts and their practices and how they've how they've been doing things wrong and what they're going to try and change going forward. So it's you know, this is a long term battle and a long term fight but we just have to be prepared to hold up our hands up and apologize. And I think there's a lot of ego in this industry and it's time to put that ego aside. I think now, um, you know, we need less focus on followers and who's got the most expensive handbag for fuck's sake. And we need to make space for people to feel like they can be themselves as well and show all different sides of their personality. And, you know, brands need to allow that and allow people to have a political voice and reassess what they think is marketable um
1: completely and we're not um we're not competing with one another i think that's really important to remember you know we're all kind of in i think especially in the in, um the influencing industry like we're all in this together like we we are in some ways colleagues and we're definitely peers and i think it's exactly it's exactly that it's about amplifying those voices that need to be hear, heard and sort of you know take it like you said putting your ego aside and taking a back seat and kind of I guess just doing the right thing and that doesn't mean you know having you know talking about this every week but sh- you know keep sharing resourceful links keep sharing petitions that you that sit strongly with you um and you I would wholeheartedly agree with you on, um, the brand side of things, just kind of doing your research a bit more on on those brands. Do they really believe what they stand for? Or is, is, you know, the little bit of diversity you see in tokenism. I think that's another, um,
0: another massive issue. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that we, it's, it's crazy that we as white women, um, have a podcast which is based around feeling on the outskirts of an industry um that just shows you how far we have to go um and it's one of you know the reasons why we wanted to talk about this and dedicate an episode to this and i think another big thing to know within the fashion industry is the links um you know between sustainability sustainable fashion and racism you know intersectional environmentalism and i think we will both do a episode on this at some point as well because I think there's so much to unpack in terms of um, the environment and the fashion industry and how this is affecting minority groups and how this affects racism and how you can't care about one without caring about the other. You can't care about racism and not care about climate change. Um, so, yeah, I think that is something that deserves its own um, topic because there's so much to unpick with that. A meaty subject, isn't it? Definitely. So maybe that's something we can look. It's at. Not a side note. <laughs> no, um, but I will link some articles below on the links between um, racism and um, and sustainable sustainability and the environment. But because we sort of need to start wrapping up this soon, and we sort of want to end on a positive note about mental health as well, um, I saw a really great post. Um, can't remember who it was from again. There's been so much information, so a lot of these quotes that we've both picked up, we don't know where they've come from. <laughs> the answer, basically. Uh, but thank you for whoever posted. Um, I think it said something like, "Rest is not the enemy of change." And I think that's what we need to remember is that Nova Reed, um, another amazing black educator as well, um, said in a podcast lately that she was taking a break to practice what she preached and that, you know, you cannot support and serve anyone and you cannot be a great ally if your cup isn't full. So it's very important right now to make sure that we're managing our mental health and that we are practicing self-care. Doesn't matter what colour you are or where you're from in the world, you know. Self care is important, Um, and it's not normal. Like we said earlier in the podcast, it's not normal to talk about racism this much, and it's not normal to consume this much information at once. This isn't a test that we're cramming for. You don't get a certificate, or you don't get to tick off a box um, because you've done an anti-racism course. It's lifelong work and there's always going to be more to learn and there's always going to be um stuff to apologize for um so you know steady as we go it has to be that way
1: i think it's really really important to remember it's okay to process what's going on
0: mm-hmm. in your
1: own way and add, in some ways in at your own speed although i do think this is a pressing issue which we need to be looking at right now but what I mean by own speed is you know the the information you're processing the way you choose to deal with it, it is okay because everyone is different um and just because you're it might be that you're reading up on it before you feel like you can be vocal about it and you know that that's fine and I guess you've kind of touched upon this Alice it's okay to remember that we are in lockdown so if you're feeling unsettled at the minute you know it's because there's a lot of change going on there's a lot of intense news out there at the minute and it's okay to feel maybe slightly out of place or lost
0: jobs people have lost loved ones people are dealing with all different kinds of and pain and i just think we're not gonna be able to move forward from this united if we keep dividing each other keep creating division um and being nasty and not allowing people space to to practice self-care and to look after their mental health um you know this it's like I was saying before. You're not going to retain information long term if you act as though you're cramming for a test. We've yeah. all done it for like an essay at uni or for a you know a test the night before. We or need- even just so you can say you've done it. I think that's the other thing. Uh, it's it's um, it's lifelong work, um, and if we're going to have any chance at all of creating long-lasting change, then it has to be the everyday mundane stuff that we continue with and um it's not you know we're not going to be in a position long term where we're where we can watch 10 documentaries a day (laughs) we're just not we might be able to do that now because we're all we've got more time on our hands but that's not sustainable yeah long term so it has to be that lifelong commitment um and the sooner you become comfortable with that and find a rhythm with it all the more successful you're likely to be in creating actual change that's actually going to help people Um, yeah
1: I guess that's actually kind of you put it better what I was trying to convey with the do it at your own pace you know this is a pressing issue but yeah it's like you said it's kind of once you find your own rhythm of, of progressing then that's fine I think we've come to
0: a natural end but yeah we just wanted to, to end on a note about um about mental health because I think it's important to just check in with each other right now um but to also want to Important point I wanted to make is please don't please don't um, contact people of color and black people right now um, because this is such an exhausting and triggering time and traumatic time for them and it's not up to black people and people of color to educate white people on racism and um, me and Sophia are more than happy um, to to send you resources or point you in the right direction obviously we're still learning ourselves we're in no way perfect but if you do want to message us if you want some advice on anything or if you want to be pointed in the right direction of some resources we can help with that please um just bear that in mind before you start sending direct messages to people and hounding people black people online uh we will be back next episode with
1: we are back resuming with the yeah. normal structure of the new series next week who knows you <laughs> <laughs> like i can't put an exact date <laughs> we hold
0: ourselves to that day <laughs> thank you for tuning in thank you for listening thank you so much and yeah we hope everyone's doing okay out there sending lots of love and look after yourselves and we'll be back soon Weekly. guys bye <laughs>